Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I don't want people to feel bad for me or think I'm talking negatively about myself, but I guess in this time of my life, I'm admitting. And this is going to sound like I hate myself, but I actually like myself a whole lot. Love myself, but uh, I'm admitting that I'm a failure. I failed at finding the man of my dreams, and I failed at making that family that I've always wanted. And I think that probably made it hard for me to start my podcast to admit to the world that like I was not able to do this thing that I've always wanted, and now I have to figure it out by myself. This is really heavy. I'm sorry. That self-deprecating voice you just heard is Molly Hockey. She's a photographer, actress, comedian, and right now she's the host of her own podcast called Spermcast. The premise of the show is that she's in a race against time to find a sperm donor among her own network of friends and acquaintances before it's too late. And let me just say that it has the best podcast theme music of all time. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town, but I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Welcome to Spermcast. It's me, Molly. She wrote those lyrics and sang them, which gives you just a hint of how gifted she is. But the reason that she's so hard on herself is because she's going through a different kind of infertility than we normally talk about. It's an infertility that has less to do with egg quality or anything medical and more to do with relationships and finances. Uh, I'm a single lady. I'm 40 years old and just turned 40. And I needed to kind of take life by the testes <laughs> and um, yeah, do this on my own. I've always wanted a baby and and it just hasn't worked out for me so far. So growing up, how did you picture your romantic relationships and when you were going to have your own family? Like, What did you think about Molly's family when you were grown up? I always thought that, well, until I was about 30, I always thought that I'd have a husband and five kids. Five. <laughs> Not even one kid. You want? I wanted five. You I want a grew litter? Up in a big family, my mom had five. Um, I had seven. I had six siblings, uh, but my oldest are half siblings from my dad's first marriage. So my mom had four boys and then me, and she was a working woman. So she was like, I don't know. She was just amazing to me. She was my idol, and yeah, she. I just thought everything was possible. I had no idea that like this kind of life wasn't normal. And as I got older. I guess the number started dropping from five to four to three, whatever. Yeah. Tell me about your past relationships. Like, did any of them ever come close? Did any of them almost become your baby daddy? No, there was one guy uh, who I was with for a long time on and off. And like we were together for three years and then broke up for five. And that was a kind of muddy time with him, too. And then another three years together. Um, So my heart was kind of wrapped up in him for a long time. And when the second three years together we 
lived together and um, we would have some unprotected sex every now and again. But, you know, I, I was always sad when I got my period. Mm-hmm. But he was very diligent about pulling out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if this is TMI, everybody. No, not at all. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I'm guessing he didn't want to have kids. I, you know what? Our our relationship was so up and down that we didn't even talk about it. And that lasted till I was 33 or 34 years old. Like, I don't know. For somebody that wanted so many kids, I don't know why I never talked about it with him or planned ahead. Mm-hmm. So Where is that guy now? Oh, he's my CPA. <laughs> 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 well, he was... <laughs> He was with me. I'm sorry. He was living with me in my house while he was in CPA school and he wasn't paying rent. So now he has to do my taxes for the rest of my life. Seems fair. That's <laughs> totally fair. He's not going to contribute sperm. He's got to contribute other things. <laughs> yeah. We've talked before about how the infertility process can put a lot of pressure on a marriage. There's a lot of treatments and routinized sex, and it can really destroy romance. But Molly's situation involves a different kind of pressure, and actually, I think a way more common kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. For any woman in her 30s who is dating and wants kids, the parenthood issue puts a lot of weight on every single first date. You know, you're wondering if they're interested in having kids, if they'd be interested in having kids with you. But the older you get, especially for women, the more urgent this conversation becomes. Like for you, Simon, how early is too early to say, hey, I think you're nice and I think this is going somewhere, but I want to have kids one day. Do you? Um, Well, you and I got together when we were like fetuses. Um, So I don't know what is too early. But a while back, one of my friends did start dating a woman who was seven years older than him. And she made her expectations clear right at the beginning of the relationship. So he was 28 and she was 35. And she sort of had one of those shut the door and take a seat kind of conversations with him. She sat him down and said, look, I am 35 years old and I don't want to pressure you into anything, but I want to have kids. So I'm about to freeze my eggs. And if for any reason you start feeling doubts about this relationship, I want you to just cut ties. Tell me straight up, pull the plug. Don't waste my time because she didn't want to fuck around. She didn't want to dangle on like, well, honestly, like how Molly did with her CPA. So better to move on to the next guy who might actually be interested in planning a future with her than have fun with somebody who's not interested in that. And did the conversation scare him or intrigue him? Well, he kind of blew her mind by being like, yep, I'm on board. And that was actually sort of her turn now to be scared and be like, oh, my God, are we doing this? Um, But spoiler, they got married and had a baby like 10 minutes later. And there's another one on the way. But it is that kind of ruthless, unsexy conversation that's sometimes needed if you're reaching the end of your fertility and still haven't found a potential co-parent, which brings us back to Molly telling us that she feels like a failure. I mean, if I were your friend, I would say you didn't fail at those things. There are just other things you wanted more. But I didn't want them more. If I'd known that I would be giving up that for this, I'm like, hmm, not sure I would have done that. And I guess, you know, we're not supposed to have regrets. (laughs) No, I don't subscribe to that. I have a lot of regrets. You know who I blame in all this? Your CPA. (laughs) I blame him too, motherfucker. Dude, he wasted like 11 years of your life. Your most fertile years. It's not his fault. I mean, I was complicit in that relationship, you know? I was codependent and wanted to take care of him, and he he cheated on me, and I stayed with him. Guys, it's my fault. 
Uh, it's our fault. <laughs> it's our fault. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I'm 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 annoyed. So what did she do after the CPA guy besides make a podcast? I mean, well, after more than a decade of kind of just floating around, she decided to seize control of her life. You know what? My my gynecologist at 35, um, I think it's protocol now. She brought up egg freezing to me and I was like offended. Hmm. How dare you? You don't think I'm going to find a man. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, then it was in my mind. And I was like, huh, yeah, I guess I should try to start thinking about this. And then um, and then there was a random, this is very random, <laughs> 36, you know, just turned 36, and I woke up from a dream about a girl. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, I could be gay. And... This is nuts, but for a year, I was, like, exploring the gayness. <laughs> and then I was like, well, shit, I don't know where my life is going now. I better freeze my eggs because mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to have to be married to a woman and have to do this anyway. Right, right. <laughs> Turns out I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good on you for trying and exploring. Yeah, yeah. You know. Good on you for being open. <laughs> then I froze my eggs and... Um, and then thought, I- I've got some time now, but at least when I go through IVF or whatever, when I find my man, um, he'll help me pay for IVF and we'll do this together and, you know, he'll provide some DNA. And you got a good result, right? I did. I got 16 eggs. Actually, when I woke up, she said I had 31 eggs and I was like, what? <laughs> but only 16 of them were mature. Ah, okay. But 31. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's a lot. So once you got your eggs frozen. Mm-hmm. What what did that do for you emotionally, mentally? Oh, so much. <laughs> and that was totally unexpected. One, I was able to continue exploring that strange urge I was having about the ladies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I was able to date without thinking about my biological clock and not cutting somebody off after a month or two, not knowing that they're not going to be the father of my children. Mm. I felt very free in the, in dating. The other thing was that I stopped thinking about what, how men would, were seeing me. So I'm an actor and I make a lot of things, but when I, when I froze my eggs, I stopped thinking about what men saw and just started creating unabashedly and I was just like able to be myself and not and not worry about whether or not it was going to turn off the father of my child. Mm-hmm. And so I started making a fool out of myself um, in the videos that I would make and mm. it, and it it kind of took off and I had a like a creative renaissance. She created several videos that parodied The Bachelor by splicing footage of herself into the show, making it seem like she was one of the contestants. And they are just pitch perfect and hilarious, poking fun at both herself and the show. I'm on the group date card and we get to go play soccer with the U.S. women's soccer champs. I uh, used to be the captain of the field hockey and lacrosse team in high school. Um, except for senior year when I, I quit lacrosse because I was got, I got really heavy into like drugs and alcohol. Um, but, you know, just like I got past that, obviously. And anyway, I'm still athletic. <sighs> oh, man, I'm so excited. I was really just on a roll. Like things were just coming out of me and I didn't even date for that whole year except for a girl. <laughs> and then that brought me other work through True TV and Comedy Central and meetings with all kinds of networks where I was pitching things and it was very cool. And now I'm on to more stuff. 
that's such, such an amazing story because it sort of reminds me in an unpleasant way how much we hold back because we're worried about what other people think of us, yeah. especially if it's in like we're thinking about like our romantic or sexual prospects where if we feel like we're single and we're trying not to be, it restricts so much of what we think and do. Yeah, 100%. Ugh. Well, you can't, I don't know, go to the, even go to the store without thinking this could be the day where I cross paths with my future mate. I better put some blush on or something. And you think, well, if he's the man for me, he's not going to care if I look like crap. But, you know, <laughs> he, he might not notice you. You need to have something to hook him. I don't know. Freezing her eggs bought Molly some time. It let her explore different kinds of relationships and focus on her career. But that time wasn't indefinite. Right. She still ran into a fundamental problem. The older she got, the more she found that people she was dating had either already had kids and didn't want more, or had gotten to middle age without kids and didn't want to change things. Molly began to realize that she might have to separate her desire to have a child from her desire to have a romantic relationship. Here's how Molly described her last serious relationship. I was dating a boy. A man. (laughs) (laughs) I was dating a real sweetheart and... um, and he already had two kids of his own and had uh, had recently gotten divorced and was not really ready for much any, anything real and uh and i said okay well i guess i'll you know i'm going to go have my own kid and uh, maybe we can date in 5 years mm-hmm. and that was a bummer and then we said goodbye and then i said shit how am i going to get that kid <laughs> after the break We're going to learn more about how women like Molly go about making a family. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We were so happy that IVF and on got some attention. One of the most exciting things that happened was that it landed on Atlantic's top 50 podcast of 2017. They called our marriage, quote, passive-aggressive. Very good, accurate review. (laughs) (laughs) Ringing endorsement. And after all of those reviews and messages, we realized that there was one thing we forgot to ask of you guys, which is to review us, to rate us. Yeah, we forgot to do the most basic thing, which is ask you to go to the iTunes store and give us five stars and a nice little recommendation. If IVFML helped you feel heard 
it helped you find your community or if it helped you come up with a way to explain your situation to family and friends, please let us know. You can reach us at IVFML at HuffPost.com. A lot of you guys have already reached out. Again, that's IVFML at HuffPost.com. Thanks. So there are a couple terms floating around out there to describe people like Molly who don't have children because they don't have a partner. I've heard the term childless by circumstance used before, but more recently I've heard situations like Molly described as social infertility. And social infertility covers both women who have trouble conceiving for reasons of age or relationship and people who have trouble conceiving because they're in same-sex relationships. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of weird that there's this new term because the number of childless people in the U.S. and all over the world is absolutely massive. About 15% of all women in the U.S. are childless. And although it's hard to find numbers on this, just common sense tells you that at least some of these women wanted to have children and didn't. Molly points out that there's a lot of silence and embarrassment about the issue. Not only do you have to admit that you want children but can't have them, but you also have to explain it's because you can't find someone who wants to procreate with you, and you with him. I'm a great girlfriend, and I'm a, you know, I think also there is a fear of talking about this before because I don't want people to think I'm unlovable. And that... I'm unattractive or that I've got problems in Listener, relationships. Listener, she's extremely attractive. <gasps> oh, what are you doing later? <laughs> Maybe I am a little bit gay. You know what I mean? Social infertility covers Molly's situation. What she's trying to do, intentionally have a child as a single woman without a partner, also has a name. Single mother by choice. We don't know exactly how many women like Molly are out there. But I talked to another single mother by choice who's a few years down the road from where Molly is now. So I'm Lauren Grimley, and I blog at Minus Prince Charming. Lauren is a teacher and writer, and she started out dreaming of a traditional family just like Molly. I grew up in a very traditional family, two parents. I didn't even know anyone who was raised by a single parent until I was in high school. So I definitely envisioned myself having a husband and children, and I was going to have the two kids by age 25. I had it all figured out. <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way. I definitely met some great guys dating, but I never had a long-term relationship that I thought, oh, maybe this is the one. Right around 34, I had this really nice guy. We dated for a couple months, and I really just wanted to settle because I wanted a family. And it finally occurred to me that this guy was great. I really liked him as a friend but there was no romantic interest. And I, I remember bawling on the, my bed to my mother on the phone saying like, I, I don't want to break up with him because what if I don't meet someone else? And, you know, she was wise enough to tell me that's not a reason to stay with someone. And I knew that, I just needed someone to tell me that. Can you explore a little bit more the concept of settling? Because I feel like, you know, you meet a nice guy, you both get along perfectly well, he might even be good dad material. Maybe a generation or two ago, that would have been enough. I felt it was unfair to both of us. Um, the particular guy at the time I was dating, I could tell was like just, he was he was there. He was romantically interested. We were compatible and he just seemed a lot more into the relationship than I was. And so I thought it would be unfair to him to continue with this only for the purpose of 
making him dad material. <laughs> that just didn't seem right. Um, you know, my parents had a relationship and my brother and sister had a relationship and my best friends had relationships that it was, they were romantically interested and they were compatible and they were friends and they really, you know, couldn't picture life without the other person. And I wasn't there with this guy um, and hadn't been with, you know, the guys I had dated before him. So I think you're right. I think maybe a generation ago or so, it would have been easy to say, but he's nice and, you know, he certainly treats me well and that would be enough. But I just didn't feel like it was enough for him. And it was, it wasn't enough for me either. I felt like I had the option to do what I really wanted, which was to have be a mom by myself. Um, so if I wasn't going to have that really great relationship with a guy, then I wasn't going to settle for an okay relationship just to be a mother. So just like Molly, Lauren decided she wasn't going to wait for a relationship to build her family. But what was the next step? I assume she didn't also start a podcast where she interviewed sperm donors. No, she followed a more traditional path. She went to a fertility clinic, she bought donor sperm from them, and then she decided to start using them in intrauterine inseminations. So basically, she went from swiping through online dating apps to browsing sperm donor profiles. That was the first big decision to make. At first, I actually picked a sperm donor who looked like me. I went with the brown hair and the brown eyes. And, you know, I tried to, I wanted my son to look like me. And I, you know, kind of went with physical features and um, a little bit of ethnicity. You know, I was a little drawn to um, people who also had an Irish background. I liked traits that maybe I didn't have, like someone who was athletic and good at math. That was a bonus. And then when the first, actually the first two donors I had, the numbers weren't great and things weren't going well. And I was like you know what, I'm just going to like, who would I be attracted to if I were dating? I wouldn't look for someone who was just like me or I wouldn't look for, so I kind of just went a lot by the questions. So they ask, like they interview the candidates and you can kind of get a feel for their personality. And that to me was what ended up swaying me to the donor I picked. He was actually a redhead. <laughs> no one in my family's redhead. So that doesn't look like me at all. But he was, he seemed funny in his answers. He seemed very loving. He seemed close to his family. And those are all traits I look for in a parent. And those are all traits I like about myself. So that was kind of what drew me to him. And on her sixth intrauterine insemination, it worked. She was pregnant. Oh my God, I was elated, um, empowered, totally terrified. <laughs> um, <laughs> It kind of hit me like, oh, my God, what do you do? What if you can't afford this? What if you can't, like, do this emotionally? Um, but at the same time, I had worked so hard for it, and I was so excited, and it was what I'd always wanted. So definitely a lot of mixed emotions. Um, you know, and then, of course, you have all those crazy raging hormones that, you know, pregnancy brings. So everything was heightened. But, um, yeah, it was it was great. I loved being pregnant. Now, this is the point where I think some people who are listening to the podcast who already have kids might be getting nervous. I mean, pregnancy is fun, but it's also difficult and physically painful. Right. It wasn't just your adorable tomato craving. It was also mood swings and intense physical pain and discomfort. And then once you're through the marathon of pregnancy and the gauntlet of labor, there's the newborn phase. Which was wonderful. I would use the words brutal and exhausting. I look back on it as something we survived. Well, a lot of people feel that way, which is one reason why women like Molly and Lauren get pushback when they decide they want to be single mothers by choice. I did have um, one family member 
who at the time, my brother and sister-in-law, were, their um, son was also small and he had had a, just a winter full of ear infections and illnesses. And during one of those times, they said to me, are you sure you can do this by yourself? Like, this is so hard and it's so much work and it's so exhausting. And I appreciated that honesty because they were they were just making sure I knew what I was getting into. And it wasn't like, you shouldn't do it. It was, think about it. <laughs> um, but overall, everyone was was very supportive. Um, and, you know, and the people who said, it's going to be hard, but good for you. I thought that was, you know, I, I appreciated that viewpoint of it too, because it is hard. The process of using donor sperm also required Lauren to talk to a social worker who helped outline all the unique challenges for her, her friends and family, and her future child. And she quickly realized that being a single mother by choice didn't mean foregoing all help. I had um, great support from family and friends. But there definitely were times when it was it was scary to do it alone. I had a couple um, bleeding scares during my pregnancies, um, during my pregnancy that was terrifying. Um, and, you know, if you're by yourself, it's even scarier. And I called friends and family and they came and supported me. But, you know, for a bulk of that, you're still alone until you get to your doctor's appointment. And most doctor's appointments I went to by myself. But I brought my parents to the big, you know, 20-week ultrasound where they could see the heartbeat and the, you know, all the little legs and the fingers and, um, you know, the big exciting things. Um, and my best friend, pretty much right away, even before I got pregnant, I was like, you're going to be my birth partner. And she's like, yes, I am. <laughs> um, and and so we, we did a birth class together. And so I got to have some of the experiences that couples did at the birth class. I think that was probably the place where seeing these husbands or partners and the, you know, sort of the, you could tell like the romantic feelings they had about being dads. And that was a little, that was probably one of the times when I was like, you know, a little maybe emotional about not having a partner to do it with, but she was great. She made jokes and rubbed my feet just like all the men did. And it was fine. (laughs) And what was birth like for you? Uh, I know that you had your best friend at your side, but she might not be able to go home and live with you the way that a partner might. Yeah, I had, um, I ended up having to have an emergency C-section. So that was, the baby was in distress. So that was stressful. Um, And that meant that even my best friend couldn't go into the operating room with me because I had to be knocked out. So that I think would have been scary for any woman being by herself in there. Um, Then having to recover from the C-section, going home was, was tricky. I didn't actually have anyone stay with me the first few nights when I got home from the hospital. And I probably should have in hindsight <laughs> um, because you're tired and you're in pain. Um, and, you know, at the time I thought, well, what can they do? I'm nursing. You know, I it's not like anyone can nurse the baby for me, but it would have just been nice for moral support. I'm just trying to picture the logistics of it. And I, I'm not it's I'm drawing a blank. Uh, I could barely walk coming out of the hospital. I, I didn't drive myself home. I, I couldn't even lift my my daughter's infant carrier seat into my house. Like, how did you handle all of those details? Um, well, my parents actually picked me up from the hospital. Um, <laughs> and so my father carried the baby out. Um, and then I actually, I think partly because I had had a prior surgery, I recovered from the C-section fairly well. So walking was fine. The stairs, um, we basically... My dad would come over in the morning and bring the baby downstairs because I wasn't supposed to carry him on the stairs for safety reasons. And I could get up and down myself because I've got the bedroom on the second floor. And then we'd stay downstairs the whole day. And then in the evening, 
my dad would come back over and move the baby back upstairs for me <laughs> so that we could sleep upstairs. We were co-sleeping at the time. Um, but like I said, probably in hindsight, I probably should have had someone there just for emergency purposes and sanity purposes. He was great the first night and then awful the second night. And I was thought to myself like, oh my God, what did I do? I, um, I wanted to know if you if the predictions of your brother and sister-in-law have come true, have you ever had those days, nights, weeks, or seasons where he's so out of control or like the sicknesses are intense and you are wondering like, what did I get myself into? Oh, I mean, there's definitely moments. Um, my son was actually born with two holes in his heart. Um, and I found that out. Thank God my friend happened to be visiting the hospital but my parents had left for the day. My birth partner friend had left for the day. So I was, I would have been by myself. And um, a friend happened to be visiting and she stayed with me for when the doctor, the cardiologist came and told me. And I thought the world was ending. I mean, I have this brand new baby and you're telling me he's got this heart defect. And I would have liked to have someone there <laughs> to go through that with. And actually it was my brother who said to me, he's like, you can't know what's going to happen. You just have to love him right now in the moment. Um, and with that came waking issues and daily check-ins with the doctor and nursing trouble. And the first few months were really hard, but thank God I had a great support system. And by six months, the holes in his heart had closed and he's healthy now. But there were definitely a lot of times in that first few months when I was overwhelmed. Those are some of the challenges that Lauren faced in her first year as a single mother by choice. And they're challenges that Molly Hockey is well aware of. When we spoke to Molly this fall, she was winding down the first season of her podcast and was about to pick her sperm donor. She'd been thinking about what would happen if her insemination worked and she became a mother. What have you learned about yourself in this process? I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned that I'm more scared than I realized. Like when I first started this, I thought, yeah, easy. It's so easy to have a baby. And what? I mean, I've got nine nephews and nieces. I'd be such a good mom. But I've always wanted to be pregnant. My mom had five pregnancies and loved them all. Now I'm scared out of my mind. Hmm. And realizing that I'm, it's not going to be as easy as I thought. And, you know, I, I guess I'm... I guess you could say I have less confidence now, but I think I've also like overeducated myself on all the things that could go wrong. And and like we heard, some things did go wrong for Lauren. The first few months were intense. Ian didn't sleep well. There were medical scares and she felt exhausted and overwhelmed and wondered what she'd gotten herself into. But I think it's really inspiring to hear what Lauren said when we asked her the same question we asked Molly. I feel like I'm a lot stronger than I knew I was. I, I didn't maybe have the confidence that I was able to do this and I felt, I always you know, thought I was super independent, but in reality, this has proven it. Honestly, I think that's gonna be true for Molly too. Here's the advice Lauren had for Molly about becoming a single parent. Oh, well, <laughs> from talking with my married friends, I think the relationship aspect um, sometimes can be as stressful as it is helpful. Um, you know, my friends, if things don't get done around the house or if, you know, there's decisions being made and one partner wants one choice and one partner wants the other choice, it can be it can be stressful. It can be a strain on their relationship. It can add to their stress of parenting. Um, I don't have that. You know, if things don't get done around the house, I'm not resentful at anybody. It's my own doing. And if I choose not to do the dishes one night, great. Um, the only laundry on the floor is me and Ian's. And she had this straightforward advice for Molly. 
oh, I absolutely think she should do it. And, you know, I would just say maybe, you know, as far as like the feeling that she's got with it, you know, I'm, I'm sure that she has so much to offer a family, whether it be with a husband or not, and that that's what's important. And just to kind of embrace everything you have to share and not worry about what's missing. Um, you know, I do sometimes worry like, will Ian miss having a dad or um, will he like wonder why I did this on my own? Because it does, you know, it's, it's a different life for him. But then I look at everything that we do together and all the great people he has in his life. And, you know, I think I think she probably has a ton to offer and she should just do it. And I don't regret anything about it. I just it's wonderful. What I'm really ruminating on right now is how lucky you have to be to find your romantic partner and your co-parent, while also simultaneously getting an education, launching a career, and building wealth. I think it makes a lot of sense that some people run out of time before achieving all these things in the perfect order, and it strikes me as unfair, especially for women. I think that gets back to something you talked about with Lauren, how in the old days people would have settled to get those boxes checked as soon as possible even if it wasn't the perfect job or the perfect guy. In that system, for women especially, the options were really marry young or risk becoming the spinster aunt. Right. We basically have talked all season long about how to make infertility treatments more accessible. And usually it's in the context of medical infertility, which affects about 12% of all Americans. But listening to Molly and Lauren made me realize that the issue is bigger than that. IUIs and IVF and egg and sperm freezing, they were all created for that 12%. But they have this huge potential to help women who are technically fertile and just haven't checked all those social boxes yet. I have in front of me this in-depth survey of 31 women who froze their eggs. And one of the main reasons that they did it was to stop themselves from rushing into a bad romantic relationship just because they wanted kids. The researchers called this panic partnering. When we talked to sperm and egg donors, we kept talking about how they were giving this gift of themselves to help someone else build a family. But now we see it could be more than that. It's actually saving some people like Lauren from unhappy marriages or from becoming co-parents with someone they don't even like. And it's giving other people the emotional time and space that they need to expertly parody The Bachelor. Yay for science. And yay for The Bachelor. Molly began her first insemination attempts this month. If you want to hear whose sperm she chose, you can listen to our podcast at spermcastpod.com. We want to wish her the best of luck and also thank her for sharing her story with us. We also want to thank Lauren Grimley for sharing her story. You can read more about her journey through single motherhood at her blog, which is minusprincecharming.com. IVFML Becoming Family is produced and edited by Anna Almendrala, Simon Gans, Nick Offenberg, and Sarah Patterson, with additional production this episode from Debbie Bleacher. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 